Okay, here's the thing about horses. They're big. Some of them weigh like 10 times what a human being weighs. And they're very smart. And they definitely have a mind of their own. And in some cases, they do what they want to do, which can be really dangerous, especially when the rider is inexperienced. Brandon was an equestrian stuntman for 17 years. That just means he was paid to do stunts and perform some crazy stuff with horses. And most of this was done at Renaissance fairs all around the country here in the U.S. If you're not familiar with what a Renaissance fair is, it's quite a production. When people talk about Renaissance fairs, they're mostly referring to the permanent ones that are there that open for usually about two months. Some of them run a little shorter, some of them run a little longer. It's sort of just like a, like a theme park, especially some of the ones I've performed at. There's one in Pennsylvania and Central PA that is basically the Disneyland of Renaissance fairs, where it's you just go there, everyone's in you know period clothing. They, the food is is themed for the period. Uh, there's you know games, real basic carnival games, throwing axes, knives, stuff like that jugglers there's a lot of different stage acts and then a few fairs in the country have professional actor casts that will be in costume and there'll be a storyline that goes throughout the day that people can follow you'd think someone who made a career out of working with horses must have grown up with horses right like brandon must have maybe grown up on a farm no actually i didn't i i'm a i'm a city kid i grew up in uh, the milwaukee area playing hockey for most of my youth. But one day, as a young man, Brandon and his family were at one of these Renaissance fairs, and Brandon had a chance meeting with a guy who made him an offer. My family and I, we always used to go to the local, uh, the Bristol Renaissance Fair, which is sort of on the border of Illinois and Wisconsin. And I had a couple buddies, and I just started talking to one of them and he was like you know i was like i don't, I don't know what i'm doing i got nothing going on right now and he was like well hey I, you know i have this little small stunt company that's an offshoot of this larger stunt company that i work for and i you know i was if you want to come and learn what we do you know i'd love to have you and i was like well yeah dude this is why not it's I, i'm always into trying out weird stuff you know like uh, i don't like doing things the boring or the safe way so i'm not the smartest guy in the world uh, now, the big thing that the stunt guys in this company would do at Renaissance fairs is the jousting. You've probably seen this in movies. Two guys, each dressed up in full armor, each one with a big shield, and a long jousting lance. I mean, like six or seven feet long. And they're each on a big horse, and they go running at each other, and each man is trying to knock the other one off his horse. Sounds like fun, right? But when you're a newbie, you don't start off doing the big jousting stunts. You start off as what is known as a squire. They were always looking for squires because that's how most joust companies will get people in. And the squires are the guys on the ground whose job it is to basically, I mean, a lot of people see squires in a show and they just look like, you know, almost like you see a tennis match and you got the kids running across grabbing the ball. like. That's kind of what the squires are doing in a real basic sense. They're clearing the field of stuff to keep it out of the way of the horses. They're um, 
making sure that the guy's on horseback because obviously when you have a helm on and stuff you can't see very well so the squires are it seems like they're not doing much but in reality they're the most important part of the show without good squires people get hurt and things go really wrong and then they're if they're not good squires they can't fix it when something goes wrong so then things go really wrong so brandon was working as a squire What he didn't know was that his initiation into the world of equestrian stunt riding wasn't going to happen exactly like he thought it would. Real people in unreal situations. There is a man standing in front of me in my bedroom. My friend has been shot. I'm in the literally inside the river and I'm inside my car. He had told me multiple times that he was going to set himself on fire. If you say my name or try to look at me, I'm going to kill you. And he was just sobbing. He said, Mom, Mom, tell me you're going to be okay. And I jumped on the hood of the car and I held on. And I looked into the garage and he was hanging from the rafters. I had somebody standing on my neck. He's better to me dead. I want him dead. I'm Scott Johnson, and this is What Was That Like? Now on Netflix, inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman, comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Your first time... You said you started on the ground. Yeah. What was it like for your first time actual stunt riding? What was that experience like? Uh, it started real quick because, uh, okay. So I, I, I probably squired for them for about a year, maybe a little bit longer where, you know, occasionally in a rehearsal, I would get on a horse kind of, you know, I'd trot around and stuff or I would just kind of sit on a horse to just kind of get the feel of what it was like while they're like, we would have a, a, a rehearsal. Cause I mean, as you imagine, shows like this require a lot, a lot of rehearsing during the week because we would perform in the weekends, but we'd rehearse every day during the week. Uh, so it was, it was a lot of work. But I would, I would just kind of like if the guys were done rehearsing and the horses needed to be walked out, you know, maybe I'd just get up on the horse and sit on it just to see what it was like. But I didn't really do any what I would consider riding until we were doing one of these temporary shows. And it was a, I want to say it was a two or three weekend little sort of renaissance fair that they were doing popped up in this park. So in these situations uh, in Iowa, it's great because, you know, people have animals and stuff there. So what we would do, we, there was a, a, a horse barn that just happened to be close by to uh, where the fair was being held in this park. It was probably about a mile away, I would say. Um, but the cool thing about it was, is we could, it was to get to, from the horse barn to the joust arena, we could just ride the horses down because it, it really wasn't that far away. And it was all through grass and fields and stuff. So 
we had this girl who just started working for the company who was going to be our groom taking care of the horses uh, You know, while we're doing shows. We'd always try to keep one person who would just be a full-time barn person to make sure that when we're doing shows and stuff, if any of the horses aren't in the show, if there was a problem with them or something like that, it just made us feel safer that in plus then if anything totally went wrong, we had somebody who was not involved in the show that could come and help, you know? Um, so we, j- we had just hired this girl and she had a lot of horse experience. Uh, she'd worked with horses for years, but horses are like people. They're very individual and uh, they all have their own personalities. So even if you've worked with horses in general for years, if you go work for a new company of horses, you still have to get to know that group of horses. Like you'd have to get to know a group of people at a new job. And so at this point, I think she'd only been with the company for like a few months because she didn't know. I mean, she knew she'd seen the horses that we were using for this run of shows. Uh, She'd worked with them enough to know the main things about their personalities, but not enough time to know their little idiosyncrasies and little tweaks and stuff. So she decides one day that she's going to take me for my first like actual ride. We're going to go, we're going to ride the horses down through these fields to get to where the park is. And this park no one would like the other vendors and things hadn't set up yet. So it was pretty much just like a wide open green fielded area with trees that had like a road construction fence as a huge perimeter. And then the joust field was a smaller one inside of it, but there was nobody there yet. So we're like, yeah, let's, this is perfect time. She thought Brandon needs to get on a horse. Uh, You know, this will be a perfect time. No one's around. There's going to, you know, no, no vendors to spook the horse, no loud noises, anything like that. And she thought, we're going to put him on this horse named Caesar, who was one of the, I believe, one of the horses that started with the Joust Company. He was he was an old boy at this point, even. I think he was probably 20, 21, 22 at the time, which is getting up there for a horse. We've had horses that have lived to be almost 40. Uh, so, I mean, like they can they can keep going. But the, he was he was still he was at that point where he was still in the shows because he was a reliable horse. But he was an old guy. He was tired, you know, so he didn't you know, he would he loved performing in the show but if you wanted to try to take him out for any other kind of rides it was it was like this will be perfect this horse isn't going to take off he's not going to do anything weird because he's he's old and tired and he's i'll just go along with it you know so she puts me on him and she gets on this uh draft mix that we had uh this horse named bonnie who was this big wide i forget what she was across of but she was a a mix with a, a draft horse breed so she was big and slow so we, we, we tack up these horses and uh, we go for a ride down through the field. And so we, she's explaining to me as we come down through the fields, all the basics of horse riding. You know, you want to keep your back straight, keep your heels down. You know, you hold the reins with your fingers like this. You know, you're, you're not never yanking in the horse's mouth. You just, every light touches, you turn your shoulders. You know, she's giving me all the little, you know, trying to not over, you know, uh, inundate me with stuff. Just giving me the basics. I'm riding Caesar and, and this is, everything's going great. He's this old horse. He's, he's being real nice to me. Like we're not, we've done a little bit of trotting, a little bit of walking on our way down towards the fairgrounds. And I should explain that as we're coming down to the fairgrounds, it, there was a lot of like the, the, the walk from the barn, it was a small field and then mostly trees and grass to where then it got down into the fairgrounds, which was about half trees and half open space. So we're kind of just trotting through these trees and, and, and Laurel is telling me, uh, you know, the basics of horse riding and everything's going good. We get around to where we're about ready to come out into the fairgrounds and uh, my horse kind of just stops for a second. And I'm like, well, you know, why, why is he stopping here? And she's like, oh, you know, he's 
sometimes they just give him a little nudge, whatever. And I see him kind of ticking his head around. Like he's, he's, he's like looking, trying to figure out how to explain. So he's kind of just darting his eyes around. Like he's looking for something. It was just, it was a behavior that he hadn't done yet. And me knowing nothing about horses at this point, I'm like, what, what is he, what's going on here? And out of nowhere, he, we step through this clearing and he sees the wide open field. And apparently what Laurel didn't know about this old horse was he is an old man and he, you know, he does his job in the show and, you know, he, he's, but he has this short circuit about open fields. He has to run when he sees an open field and it, it takes a very experienced rider to keep him from doing this because he's an old horse and horses are very sensitive and very perceptive. And they can tell by the way you're distributing your weight on their back, how, how experienced of a rider you are. And, and you were like the opposite of an experience. Oh my right? God. Oh my God. He's <laughs> like, this guy's a, this kid's a dummy. Like he's like, we're, we're going to, like when he decided, when he saw that open field and he's like, oh, I'm, I'm going to run. Like I wasn't a thought in his head. He had completely forgotten I was even there. He, cause he, I was such a, a non-threat to being able to prevent him from having his fun. So he looks up, sees the open field and he takes off and I don't know if you've, have you ever been on a galloping horse, like a full on running horse? Not really fast. I've ridden some, but not, not really. Like at a canter, but like fast. never, never yeah. a full on gallop. The thing about a horse at a gallop is their back moves almost not at all. It's like jet smooth. And this horse, even though he was old, when he wanted to go, I would put this horse against any of the horses that we had in the company speed wise. He was lightning when he wanted to run. And he is full on sprint. So the first few seconds, I'm just in total shock. I have no idea what to do. I'm just trying to hold on, you know, which luckily, like I said, is fairly easy because his back's not moving. The, the hardest thing to do when you're learning how to ride is learning how to deal with a trot. Either you ride English style by posting where you kind of stand up and down to match the the up and down rhythm of the horse's back. You kind of catch it on the one and three beats so that you're not just slapping. Then there's also you'll, when you get to be a better rider, you learn how to sit the trot where you can just kind of like roll your hips to stay on the horse's back so that you're not popping up and down. But when a horse is running full out, it's like I said, not moving at all. So I'm, I got no problem staying on, but also we're going like really fast. This horse is really fast. And at first it's not a problem because he's just, he saw open field when we came through the trees and he's just running through this open field. So I'm like, great. Like it's scary, but I'm also thinking like at this point, if I got a ditch or something, it's just green grass around me. No big deal. You know, yeah, we're going really fast. It's probably going to hurt if I jump off, but like, it'll be all right. So I'm just hanging on at this point. And I hear Laurel, the, the groom yelling at me from this because her horse at this point hasn't even started moving yet. Because not only is she on this big, fat, slow draft grass, but when Caesar took off, it was just like someone fired a starting pistol and he was out. So I vaguely hear her yelling something as we kind of disappear into the distance, which was one of the little bits of advice she was trying to offer me on the way down, which is if a horse ever does take off on you and you can't, it's not listening to any of the normal cues that you're giving to stop. It, it is sort of like a uh, pull the rip cord last ditch effort. What you can do is you can grab one rein and pull that rein all the way in, trying to get the horse to kind of turn his head into his shoulder. And the, and usually they'll either get annoyed with that and stop, or they'll kind of circle, you know, and you can kind of just circle them into a stop and then calm them down and get off them. 
so like I hear her kind of yelling this as I'm running away and I'm like, Oh shit. Right. Okay. So at this point, he's just at a full on gallop, just running through this open field. But like I said, they had the, the fairgrounds kind of partitioned off in various areas with this construction fence for where these other vendors were going to set up and where they were going to have certain things kind of, you know, to funnel people in through the entrance. And cause it, this was just a big open park. They had to create all this stuff for where these things were going to go. So he sees this orange fence and luckily the one that he sees is it's still, it's just a big perimeter fence. So he starts running along this fence. So now we're running along it and I can see he's trying to find a way out of it. Now he knows he's, he's kind of contained and he doesn't want to be, he wants to keep running through this field. He knows what the job of a fence is. Right. He's yes. Yes. He, and, 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 and he, even though it's one of these, plastic fence. He could have, he, he probably could have jumped it. I mean, I've been on horses that have gone that route before too, where they run to a fence and they go, dude, I got this. I'm not worried about it. And they just jump over it. But he was like, eh, probably too old to do it. And he knew that. So, but he recognized it. So he's like, shit, he's following this fence. So now we're at a full on gallop and we're kind of slowly going around this perimeter of this, this fence. And then I'm, I'm kind of toggling back and forth between this is really awesome because I had never been on a horse under my own control before it, when I still arguably still was not under <laughs> on a horse under my own control, but I'd never been on a horse that was galloping. And like the first time you do, I mean, it is cool. I mean, like the wind is just ripping past your head and like, it's, it's so cool. But then I realized in between going back and forth of like, Oh shit, I'm going to die. And then like, Oh, uh, this is also kind of cool. Uh, I realized he's running along this fence and, it's a problem because this fence, the perimeter goes, the fence leads right just into the woods. From my perspective, that's all I can see is this, this fence just runs and then the, it doesn't, there's no gap until tree line. And on the left side of the fence where we're currently running, the only other thing there happens to be this large tree that we're kind of now starting to run towards. Well, right as I kind of realize this, like, I'm like, oh shit, now I, I'm probably going to have to make a decision because I don't know what he's going to do. Cause he's still at a full gallop. We still have, you know, I, I've got some time before we get to the tree line, but he's, he's moving and he doesn't look like he's looking to slow down. I, I swear to God, this is, this image is burning my head for the rest of my life. I'm, I'm yanking his, cause I'm, I'm trying to pull either one of the reins in to get his head into a, sh- and I'm pulling, like I got this rein and like, like I'm trying to start a mower. Like I'm just <laughs> yanking on this thing. It turns out that might've been the dumbest thing I could have done because he, I think that was what reminded him I was still there. I think up until this point, he was just in his happy place of, of just sprinting. And when I got up in his mouth, you know, trying to get him to stop this image, I have burned in my brain. He turned around like at a full gallop, his, his head was almost in his shoulder and he's still running full out. And he looks at me like this asshole. And I'm like, Oh no, dude. So now he's at a full gallop. When he gets his head back straight again, I, I, I realized when he gave me that look, I'm like, I'm done yanking in your mouth, dude. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Now he's running and he's clearly pissed off at me. So he's, he's now he's, he's kind of shake. He's twitching here and there. Like he's trying to kind of throw me, but he doesn't want to stop running. And I'm like, now I'm really like, I don't know what to do. Then I see as we're following this fence, getting closer to the tree line, he aims us directly for that tree to my left. And this is a big ass tree, man. It's a, it's a huge tree. And he's running, not like next to it. He's running full on at it. 
like he's just gonna like kill us both like if he can't run for joy he doesn't want to live and he's just gonna full-on both of us into this tree it's a kamikaze horse Dude, it sounds like that's what he was that's what i'm thinking of because he wasn't even pretending as though he was gonna dodge this tree he's now running at a full gallop right for this tree so i'm panicking i'm panicking we're getting closer to the tree Right before he gets to the tree, he does this little crow hop, this little like he jumps from his right to his left and then one big jump to avoid the tree at the last second. So I get, you know, thrown from side to side uh, and I'm, I'm lucky that I was able to squeeze hard enough with my legs to hold on from that last when he the last minute jumped to avoid the tree off to the right. Because if I would have lost my balance, I think what he was trying to do was make me lose my balance that way so that the tree would just clean me off of him. And had that happened, I would have been probably dead because we were going, I mean, he had to be doing 30 miles an hour, 35, 40 miles. I mean, he was full on sprint. Luckily, I squeezed with my legs strong enough to stay in the saddle, but I'm off balance now. And I'm kind of tilting off to the left-hand side because that last jump around the tree threw my momentum to the left. And I'm, I'm struggling to hold on. And what I didn't see was right before we got to the tree line, which was right after we passed this tree, there was a little gap in the fence before the tree, this little man gate size gap in the fence that he, that he saw and was going for clearly. What can I say? When I plan a week of meals, I like to have some variety. And with hundreds of meals to choose from, Cook Unity has that part covered. Go to cookunity.com slash what or enter code WHAT before checkout to get 50% off your first week. Not too long ago, I tried the cauliflower and chickpea coconut curry. I love curry anyway, but even if you're not normally a fan, you should try this one. It's one of the dishes prepared by Chef Michelle Bernstein here in Florida. She has a couple of restaurants here, and she's also a judge on the TV show Chopped, so you may have already seen her. But aside from the taste, it's the convenience. Because let's face it, even if I knew how to cook, I don't have time. These meals are delivered fully cooked. So when mealtime rolls around, I pick out what I feel like eating, and within just a few minutes, it's ready. No prep and no cleanup. And when I say variety, I'm talking over 350 different meals from dozens of chefs. You can decide based on a chef you like, or protein content, or just what you prefer. The menus are updated weekly, so there's always something new. Make the best meal plan ever with the convenience, chef-level quality, and endless variety of CookUnity. Go to cookunity.com slash what or enter code what before checkout for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using code what or going to cookunity.com slash what. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. So he... As I'm off balance to the left-hand side, he makes another right turn to jump through this gate. And that was all, that was it for me. Like I would, that was too much momentum throwing me more to the left again to stay on. So I start to come off, but at the last second, the stirrup sticks on my foot on the, my right foot over the top of the saddle. So as I'm coming off the horse, my right foot sticks. So now my right foot is up about, uh, just a little bit below 
the the just the, the line of the saddle, like almost on the saddle itself. My right foot's up there, and the rest of me is off dragging in the grass. So you're wait a minute, you're you you fell off to the left, but it's your right foot that was stuck. Yes. So as I was coming off the horse to the left, my feet were in both of the stirrups, and I didn't know anything about horse riding at this point because when you do saddle falls for real, you kick your stirrups out ahead of time to avoid this problem entirely. I had no plans on coming off this horse, so my feet were still in those stirrups. So my left foot came out; it swung off as I was going over, but my right foot stayed in the stirrup. So if you can imagine my foot in the stirrup and then my weight holding it down on top of the saddle kind of locked me, locked my foot in the, in the stirrup on top of the saddle while the rest of my body is like ragdoll dragging off his left side on the ground. Right. Does that make sense? And does, does the saddle slide over or was it tight enough? It it was tight enough. It didn't move. If it, if it moved, it moved just a little bit, but yeah, it w- the girth wasn't loose enough for it to, to swing around, which actually probably worked out to my benefit. Cause when that tends to happen to horses, they feel the saddle go under their stomach. That really freaks them out. They flip out. That's when you need to cut the saddle loose or something because they, they're going to try, they're just going to start bucking usually because the saddle pokes them in weird spots when it's upside down. So now he's running at a full gallop and my right leg, I'm kind of doing it and I'm not a flexible guy. I'm kind of doing the splits because my right leg and the rest of my body is like one of those little string figures that, you know, when you press it down, they, they, they fall apart. And then when you let go, they stand up. I'm just dragging like a, like a windsock string man, like just in my right leg is up over the saddle. And I, I don't know what to do because like now he's, he hasn't slowed down at all. He's still at a full gallop, and he, but luckily he's running through the grass. So I'm getting hit by his feet you know, every so often, like his hooves are kicking me and whatever, but like I'm, I'm so far, I'm doing okay for about the first hundred yards of being dragged. I, I, I'm hanging in there. The, the, when you say the first hundred yards, I mean, that's the length of a football field doing yeah. this. That <laughs> this is, yeah. So and again, this is the first time I'm ever on a horse under my own, own control. And so he's he, about first hundred yards. He, he's dragging me. And then again, I have another one of these images of him where he's sprinting. And then he, he does that same thing where he puts his head down and he looks at me. And he's like, it, almost this look of like, oh, dude, are you, you're still here? What are you still doing here? I thought I got rid of you. He then does this thing where he decides that he doesn't want, like, he, you know, clearly he's dragging me and this isn't working for him. So he starts to adjust his course at a full gallop from the grass into the tree line. So he's still running in the field. And now I'm in the, the woods banging off of trees and, and stumps and branches and shit while he's full on galloping. Cause I guess he figured at some point yeah, I'm going to hit a tree and it's going to clean me off of him. So I don't know exactly. Cause once we got into the woods, obviously my, my perception of what's going on is pretty, I mean, it was pretty tough to keep track of what was happening when I was just in the grass. Now I'm banging off of trees and rocks and like, I have, I have no idea. He, all I know is he dragged me for at least the same amount of time I'd already been dragging uh, before by pure chance, maybe just me trying to flop around trying to avoid trees and branches and stuff. I was able to twist my foot in such a way that it popped out of the stirrup and he kept going and I got out and just laid in the woods for a little bit. I mean, it, it took me, you know, like I, I took, I've been telling the story for a few minutes now, but like, this was like in reality, you know, five, two minutes, you know, I maybe from the time he saw the field to the time he finally got rid of me. And then, so I'm laying in the woods and a few minutes later, Laurel rides up on her big draft cross. Cause it took her that long to catch up to us. And she's like, are you okay? And 
Like, I think so. You know, I'm doing that, the standard check of, you know, can I stand, you know, touching my legs when, you know, and I, I think I, I might've broke something then. I just never went to, <laughs> to the hospital because I, I was, you know, 17, didn't really have insurance, but yeah, she had to go chase. She tried to chase Caesar. He, he, he just, he, once he got rid of me, he just frolicked around the field for a few minutes and then was like, all right, I'm done. He, she, he didn't resist being captured by her. She just kind of walked up and grabbed his, his reins and, thing about riding is that that old adage of you got to get right back on the horse you do because if a horse does this if they do if they throw you if they do something that that is dangerous you have to immediately show them that that's not okay and the way that we would do that because we were all positive training like a lot of a lot of horse training can be really abusive and negative and and all the companies I worked for were all about positive reinforcement training so we never you know never hit horses. We never, you know, any of that old school stuff. But what we would do if a horse disbehaved like this is we would, uh, we would uh, run them for a little bit, you know? So we went into the, the little joust arena there and, you know, I limped my way back in there and I got on his back and just rode him in circles for a little bit and, you know, to show him like, Hey, that's, you're not going to, it's not that easy to get rid of me, you know? And, uh, but it was, uh, it was, it was tough. It was tough. Cause I, of course, I mean, I, after being, you know, that was my first real time on a horse and like, and, and Laura was old school about it, man. She just looked at me and she's like, you know, you got to get back on him. Right. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I do. And, <laughs> and she went and got him. We went in the arena and ran for a little bit and then took him back to the barn and gave him treats and hosed him off and all that. It seems like it would have made sense for you guys to have opposite horses. hundred percent. Yeah. In retrospect, of course that would have been right. But she, like, like I said, I don't, I don't fault her at all because now, having been around horses for so many years, you know, I, I could have very easily made the same mistake because by appearances, he, you know, if you watched him in a show, you know, you, you could tell that he, he was an older horse and, you know, he could do the job, but he, he, he wasn't a threat. He, you know, he's a guy who he boring old routine type horse, you know? So he, I, he absolutely would have been one of my choices if somebody was like, what horse do you, should you put this newbie on? I would have picked him too. So I, I don't blame her. It's just, she'd. Like I said, you got it. Horses are like people, you know, that was a little tick that he had that she didn't know he had. And that's, that's, uh, that's how I learned that lesson. Anyway. <laughs> a, yeah. yeah. I've heard you, you talked about something called a saddle fall. Yeah. Can you describe what that is and how you're supposed to do it? Sure. And how do you, how do you learn how to do that? Um, it's scary. It's uh, okay. So the, uh, the saddle fall is basically the the standard thing that any theatrical jouster is going to have to learn how to do because that's what everybody wants to see. They want to see the the big blowout. So the way that 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 we do them safe, you know, as safe as can be, we we have the whole show choreographed. So we know who's coming off the horse when. Uh, you know, what well, it'll be like. Okay, we're doing five six passes, whatever. I hit you, then you hit me, then we both hit each other, blah blah blah. And then okay, on the sixth pass, I'm coming off. So at the top of my set, the way that each joust pass would start, this is another uh, point as to why the squires are important. Like I said, you got your helm on. We have uh, almost no peripheral vision and just very limited frontal vision. It's just this little slit, which is it, all of our helms. And even though, like I said, we do theatrical stuff, all we wore all real armor because it, there are many times where that helm saved my life, where a, th- a hit went wrong, shield skipped off and hit me in the head. And had I not, been, had I worn like a plastic helm or something like that, I'd be in bad shape. The squires on the ground, because we have such limited vision, they kind of set up the pass. They'll t- they're talking to you the whole time. A good squire is always talking to you, telling you what the other guy's doing. Okay, he turns, he looks for you, he looks for you, raise your... So the horses, they'll turn our horses into the lane, and then we raise our lances as a signal to each other that we're both ready to go, and then we start the pass charging at each other. 
So when you're going to do a saddle fall at the top of your pass, you kick your stirrups off your feet before, before the pass starts. Then you go into your pass. And then what you do is when you take your hit on the shield, which is in your left, left hand, you lean back, you let go of the reins entirely so that you're not, a lot of guys would let go really early before they take the hit, just to make sure that there was no chance of them popping the horse in the mouth or anything when they get hit, but you let go of the reins. And you kind of just like, you're going to lay back, uh, like, you remember those old Nest T commercials where they would like fall backwards into a pool, you know, that like they just let go and fall like a trust fall almost. That's kind of what you do. You like lean back on the horse, you let your shield drop off to the left, you drop your rant, your lance to the right side. And then you kind of just roll, roll off your butt, off the butt of the horse, kicking your right leg up over or your, I'm sorry, your left leg up over and just kind of roll up off the horse's butt and he kind of runs out from underneath you. You kind of do like a little somersault and you fall in the sand. And what do you, you land on your back? A lot of guys will land feet first. Cause you kind of like, think of it like, have you ever had to ditch uh, like riding a bicycle or a motorcycle, something where you kind of just quick kick your leg up over it, jump off and you can kind of keep running that type of thing. It, it's a similar concept to a saddle fall, but you're just laying back more, but the same principle of kicking your leg over and, and just, so you can, if you want to brace your fall, you can kind of hit with your feet and then crumble and roll so that it looks good. Um, but then a lot of guys will, you know, they have different styles. One of my bosses would do this really great fall where he would basically just reach his arms back. Like he was going to do sort of like a side dive into a pool and his, his hands would always hit the ground first. Cause he would literally just reach off the horse. If I was wearing a bunch of armor, I would do a, a fall very similar to that one. So I would drop my stuff and then instead of kicking my leg back over the, I would straight up just roll back a back somersault off the horse, um, which is terrifying the first time you do it. Yeah, that's what I'm, I'm just trying to imagine the very first time you do this. I mean, it's like the first time you jump off a high dive or, yeah. you know, first time you jump out of an airplane, you know, it's got to just be terrifying that first one. Yeah, it it is. It is. Especially when there's when I was learning and when a lot of guys were learning them, um, you don't always have the benefit of a really nice field with really deep sand. So um, a lot of times you're learning how to do saddle falls on grass or on kind of hard packed dirt. That's real intimidating. I mean, it doesn't seem like sitting on a horse, you're that high in the air until you're sitting on a horse and you're like, shit, I'm like, I'm kind of high up off the ground. And now you want me to fall off this horse who's running at a, not a full gallop, but a fast canter. And it's, it's scary. I mean, you, you kind of just have to force yourself. I mean, when, when you're first learning, we'll kind of step up to it, you know, like you, first you jump off at like a trot and then, you know, we'll pick it up to like a little bit, like a slow lope. And then like you get faster and faster. But the weird thing about saddle falls, it's actually easier to do the faster the horse is going. Cause our number one thing was making sure the horse was safe. So people started learning saddle falls with nothing in their hands because we couldn't trust them. You'd panic and drop the shield on the horse or drop the lance on his head or whatever. I would, I would think the number one thing is that the rider is safe, but uh, <laughs> the horses are the asset here. We need yeah, to protect them. That's not, yeah, that's not how we operated though. Our horses were, uh, they, they mattered more to us than anything else. So uh, everything we did was centered around how is this going to work for the horse? How is, is the horse okay? And, and you have to think that way because I mean, that, that horse is, is, is really like in a show like that is taking care of you, man. I mean, it's, I've had plenty of horses that have, have really saved me from possibly bad situations just because we, we became friends, just like you become friends with a person. They like, they, you know, we ended up with a good working relationship. They like me and they wanted to you know look out for me. 
I mean, if you're going to be doing crazy shit on horses, man, you gotta, you gotta know those horses. You gotta, you gotta trust those horses more than, than anything. You trust the horse first and then, but you also get, I mean, they're still horses, so you can't, you can't, you can't rely on them, but you still have to put a lot of trust in them. And then obviously the, you put a ton of trust in the guys you're working with. Is that kind of related with your philosophy of positive training as opposed to the old school type? Can you just talk, talk about that a little bit, how that sure. affects your connection with the horse? The way that the companies that I worked for uh, did things is in the horse world, there's a, a very cowboy mentality of this old alpha male macho, like um, they call it when you, you, when you're, when you're taking a horse that is unfamiliar with riding, uh, you, they call it breaking a horse, you know, got to break them. And that's, I just, we, the guys I worked with and myself, we just never, we didn't agree with that, have to dominate the animal mentality. So we started looking into a lot of other research, like how to train horses, learning their language almost. So what, uh, one of the companies I worked for where we did the craziest stuff with horses, where we would get these horses to stand on pedestals and to bow and to rear on command. We had horses that would ride through fire, all this crazy stuff. When I was working for that company, we that was when I really started training horses because we would start using this method that's uh, it was a hybrid method called liberty training, where you start on the ground with the horse in a round pen. Because horses communicate with each other through body language, it's basically you're learning a very simplified version of their horse language, and they're learning that you're learning that. So what you do is you have a horse in a round pen. And you start with, uh, you have like a lunge whip and like a little riding crop just almost to work like, you know, the, the guys at airports with the, the uh, flashlights that wave people in. That's kind of the same concept you're using with these, these uh, whips. You're not whipping the horse. You're just using them as guides to show them where to go. So you start by kind of, you'll have the horse in the round pen and by angling like your right shoulder in. You take a step in with your right foot and right shoulder, and that'll cue the horse to run around the arena to the right. And then if you take a step back, he'll stop. And if you step in with your left foot, he'll turn and run to the left. So you start with these really basic activities of him watching you for physical cues as to when he's supposed to turn. And like then after they get that, then you start doing things where you step back and the horse will come to you to the center of the arena and then you can step to the side and he'll keep going. And then so you you start doing all these little uh, physical cues that that they they're watching you now and you're watching them. And eventually you can get a horse to the point where you don't have any whips in your hands and you're not even moving in a really pronounced way anymore. It's very subtle where you're just kind of angling your body and making small movements. And once that horse has worked with you and they know you, that's how you get these. I mean, there's guys out there who do really crazy stuff with Liberty training where they get horses basically to act like dogs, you know, where they can roll over and get them to play with their hooves and do all kinds of goofy, you know, comedy stuff. And the people in the crowd, the audience isn't going to notice these subtle moves exactly. that the person is making, but the horse sees it. Exactly. And the benefit to this type of training too is now you're learning their language and you're also, there's something about starting to train a horse from the ground like this that establishes this, this really strong connection with them. My theory is just because you know, you're not coming at them from a, a position of dominating them. Uh, you're coming at them from this position of equals of like, look, man, I just want to, I want to work with you. I want you to work with me, but if you're not feeling it, that's fine. We don't have to, you know, like we never forced a horse to do anything. Uh, there's a way to train a horse and you, you coach them how to do something, but there's always a point where you go like, okay, that's enough of this for today. You know, we'll come back tomorrow. Maybe they'll go a little further tomorrow and a little further. 
with this company, I would spend months training an individual horse in the round pen. You know, we, we'd get there in the winter time and start training two, three, four months ahead of time to get these horses to do what we wanted them to do. Is there a, like a, an incentive? Like you've got a snack for them every yeah. time they do something? Or okay. Yeah, we had apple biscuits, uh, you know, carrots, vegetables, stuff like that. Any time that we were teaching them, like uh, when we teach horses to stand on a pedestal, you know, you break all these tricks down into really basic steps. You know, first you just you get you get you pick up his foot and you put it on the pedestal, and then you, you jam treats in his mouth. You know, he loves it, and then and then you get him to kind of shift his weight to be and okay. Now he's kind of leaning on the pedestal, and, you're, and the whole time you're feeding him, you're feeding him, and then so it's 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 like positive reinforcement training, like with any other animal. Like when they're doing what you want, you just you you, you keep them happy, you keep feeding them. <laughs> that reminds me, we had this one horse, and in, in relation to this, his name was Thor. And he was a half draft mix with a Frisian. Do you know what a Frisian is? Nope. If you've ever seen a movie with a beautiful black horse in it, it's a Frisian. The ones that have the really wavy manes and they're jet black and they look shiny and they're beautiful. Mm-hmm. Well, this horse was half that and then half this like ugly draft cross. So he was, if, if, if you put a, a beautiful Frisian into like a funhouse mirror and just made him like wide, like a couch and like give him a square head, but then he still had this beautiful fur and mane. That was this horse. But he was super food motivated. So when we were teaching this horse to stand on a pedestal, he like got it right away. Like it, it I mean, he learned immediately because he, he loved these, these, <laughs> these treats we'd give him. So one day after training, you know, we would always have a turnout area for the horses where we'd put them out in the paddock and just kind of let them roam around in a field overnight, you know, toss hay for them and whatever. So we had this area of turnout where we were teaching the horses and there was a fallen log out in, uh, in this field. And so, we would drive by and every time I'd see Thor out in this field, I'd see him chewing on this log. And I'm like, what, why is he che-? like at first, like we were kind of concerned, but like, is he, is he, is he deficient in some, you know, a nutrient or something? Like, is he, is this a vitamin? Is it a weird behavioral thing? But then every time we, you know, at night we go by, we'd see him. He's just little by little over the course of about a month. He's just you know, every now and then just chewing on this, this log. And we're like, okay, whatever. I mean, he's, if he wants to chew on an old log, he can chew on an old log. It's not going to hurt him <laughs> until one day we go to lunch and he's out in the field, standing on the log, waiting to be treated. He had made his own pedestal to stand on. So wow. he could, yeah, that's how much he wanted to, to like, he, he spent about a month whittling this, this fallen log down enough that he could stand on it. This fat ass could get up on it. And well, uh, he yeah. deserved to be treated. After exactly. That, right? I, when I saw that shit, I laughed so hard. I immediately went back to the barn and got him, got him some treats. I went out there and I, I just, I was like, you earned it, buddy. You worked so hard for this. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that's that. I mean, it shows you that they really, the horses really dig it. I think that's what a lot of people don't realize about these shows is if they're, if, if you're training the animals, right, they love performing as much as you love performing. When we'd be backstage with these horses at some of the bigger shows where we have crowds of, you know, 15,000, 20,000, whatever, and these horses could hear all the people out in the, in the arena yelling and screaming, you know, they're, they're kicking at the stalls. They want out. They want, they love it. I mean, most of them really, they, they get amped up by the crowds. I mean, you, you would see a, a distinct difference in we, from rehearsal to performance. I mean, we'd always tell new guys like, pay attention. Like yeah, things, you know, now you're a little bit comfortable. Things are going well in rehearsal and stuff, but this horse is going to, he, he's going to feed off that crowd. Like you do, you're both going to be jacked up on adrenaline, keep it calm. Like we always had to give the guys that extra speech of like, take a breath because the horse is going to be hot going out there because they love it. They loved it. I mean, they really loved it. Did you, I mean, you're talking about crowds that size. Were there any times when someone actually got hurt? Like when you were performing? 
All right. And yeah. What do you, what do, you do in a case like that? Plenty of times. Um, it's tricky because this is live theater, you know, so there, there really is. And especially in front of these large crowds, there is no timeout. You know, there's no like, hold on everybody. You know, like we got an injury on the field. Stop. You know, uh, you just, you have to creatively think on the fly, how you're going to, how you're going to get through it. There was one time at this show working for the company that I was just referring to uh, that was really intensive on, on horse training. And th- it, this guy is to date, one of the best horsemen I know in my life. He went over to Europe and jousted in actual European jousting competitions. I think he was in Germany for a world's competition where he was treated like a joke because he was an American and uh, they gave him this horse that they thought he wasn't going to be able to do anything with. And turns out by the end of the competition, he, he finished like third in the world and he had gotten this horse to do incredible stuff for these equestrian skills competitions that were all part of this tournament. So he's, he, I mean, this guy has probably forgotten more about horses than I'll ever know. We're doing a, a show at a fairly large, it was, in a, it was one of the Pennsylvania shows. It's the first show of the day, which is a pretty, uh, it's the equestrian uh, skills show. So what we would do is for, th- for this particular show is we would set up this kind of obstacle course for one part of the show where we would, we would have the horses jump over jumps and we, you know, we would cut cabbage and stuff as the horse, you know, as we'd jump up, we'd cut cabbage or we'd have them throw rings to us that we would catch. Or we'd run the horses between uh, uh, sticks or we'd pick up a spear out of the ground and throw it in a bale. Like it was this whole sort of horse obstacle course that we would lay out. And uh, we would really compete with each other every day. A, a lot of guys do something similar like this, but in this particular show, just to make it fun for ourselves, we set up the script in a way that it didn't matter who would, who would win this competition. So we'd be out there actually trying to get points and beat each other. It was a fun little thing we got to do. So by and large, it was uh, the first show of the day is a very lighthearted show. It, we would end with a joust, but it was a, it was a, everything's a good fun sport joust, you know, not, no serious. We didn't use any blood packs or any of the, you know, the, the, the that was all saved for later in the day. So in this particular show, we had had this drag harness that we had made. And what we would do is we would say whoever lost this tournament joust at the end of the first show would have to be dragged out of the field in shame, which is a cool stunt. And we had a really nice deep sand field. So like in this harness, we and we did, we did a lot of testing with the different types of harnesses and stuff to get this to work right, to make sure you know no one's going to get hurt. We'd done this a bunch of times and everything was great. We're doing this first show one day. And... Um, I had uh, the way that it would work is we had four guys in the show. And when the, the first two guys would come off, we would kind of, you know, the squires would take our horses backstage and then we would stick around on the ground to kind of just help almost be like bonus squires, you know, that we'd be there to make sure everything went okay. And so for this particular show, it was my job after I did my saddle fall and whatever that I would hang out because it was ultimately my job to tie whoever lost the tournament joust the day was going to be tied into the the drag harness and, and hauled out. And it was my, my job to do that. So I'm standing off to the side of the field and my buddy that I just was talking about, uh, who's this fantastic horseman. He started his last joust pass with the guy he's riding against and he does his saddle fall. And it looks like a normal routine saddle fall. He just kind of, it actually looked a little sort of less theatrical than I was used to seeing him do. It looked like he almost kind of just stuck in the sand, like a long dart. It was kind of like really like anticlimactic, but it didn't look, it just looked like a, like, Oh, okay. That was kind of a boring fall. Whatever. So the master of arms of the show, who's like the MC it's his horse that has the drag harness attached to it. So after my buddy falls off his horse, 
the MC kind of comes out and starts talking in what we call vamping, which is just, you know, he's, he's just talking to the crowd to keep them interested to buy time while we, you know, go ahead and get him tied into the harness and whatever. So he comes out and he's got his horse with the harness and I go over and I notice that my buddy's not getting up yet. Uh, normally by this point in the show, he would be kind of standing up and giving the audience the whole, ah, shucks, you know, kind of like, I'm defeated, you know, whatever. And, you know, and then about that time, you know, we'd have the harness over there and set him up and, and get him tied in and drag him out. Well, he's just, just laying in the sand. Like he's not unconscious or anything. He's just not like, he looks fine, but he's not getting up. So I walk over to him and um, my buddy, who's the master of arms starts, you know, buying time, talking to the crowd. And I lean down and, and um, the way that the, the quick hand method that we use to get through shows in when injuries happen is just a stoplight system. Uh, you know, red is I'm hurt. I can't do much of anything. Uh, that's like, that's the worst case scenario. I, I've only heard that maybe twice in all my years doing these shows. Yellow is I'm hurt. And it, there's a lot of room in yellow. Like yellow could mean, yeah, I'm cut, but we're just keep going. Or it could mean like, I'm pretty hurt, but I'm going to try to hack my way through the rest of what we got to do in the show and, and, and get through it. And then obviously green is no big deal. I'm fine. I, I walk up to him. And the first thing he says to me without saying anything else is just red. I'm red. I'm like, <laughs> what? Like, I have no idea what to do because he, this is one of the toughest guys I've ever known in my life. And I've seen him, I've seen this guy get like where I would have been like red, red dude. I've seen him get hurt where he was just like, not even yellow, just like fine. He's like bleeding. Like I've seen swords glance up, you know, cuts or whatever. Maybe it looked worse than it was, but like, I've seen this guy get hurt and just like, I, I didn't even know pain could affect this man. Like he's, he's one of those guys. Right. And so he says red and I'm, I'm like, what do we do? What, what's wrong? What, you know? And he's like, it's my leg. And cause you know, I, again, I saw him do this fall and this fall just looked like he just kind of just lawn darted into the sand. It didn't look like even the type of fall that I, I was not thinking injury when I walked up to him. Cause none of this looks severe. I've seen guys plenty of times take really bad falls and you run over there right away. Like, Oh, this was not a big deal. And he's like, it's my leg. And I'm like, well, shit, man. Like, what do you want to do? Because he's supposed to get tied into this drag harness now. I'm like, can you stand? And he's like, you know, he's feeling around in his leg. And he's like, no, dude. And he's like, I, I'm, he's like, it's, I'm fucked. <laughs> like, this is fucked. And I, so I'm, I'm like, shit. And I, I look up to my other friend who's the master of arms, who's kind of like giving us glances over his shoulder every so often while he's, you know, trying to keep the crowd entertained, talking to him while me and my buddy are having this conversation in the sand about what we're about to do here. So, you know, I'm like, I, I look at him, I'm like, so what do you want? What do you want to do, man? And he's like, let's, let's just do it. Time in. And uh, I'm like, I, are you sure? Because now, now I'm, I'm trying to deal with this fact of like, here's this dude I didn't even think felt pain and he's so hurt he physically can't stand and now he's telling me oh just tie me in the harness i'm like i'm thinking like if this guy's telling me he can't get up there's something that's so wrong with him that i was worried about how we were even going to get him off the field in a safe way let alone now you want me to tie you to the back of this horse and let my buddy do a full lap around the field and then drag you out the chute to around backstage and the show must go on huh <laughs> yeah man <laughs> He just, he's just like, do it. So, uh, my friend who's the master of arms, my buddy, John like, looks over his shoulder at, at me and 
coincidentally, my other friend who's also named John. And he, we both give him the nod of like, we're doing this. It, 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 and at this point, my friend who's the master of arms, I think has no idea what's what's going on. He just knows something's wrong. And he's an, he's an old school guy who was, you know, knew how to deal with this shit. So he was just handling it with the crowd until we were ready. But he still doesn't know what's up. So I just, uh, he brings his horse around and I, I, I tie my friend into this, this harness It's like these sort of cuffs that we had rigged up that he would kind of hold into and, uh, on his belly, they drag him out and he typical, you know, they he does a full lap around the field and he's rolling over and flopping around. And then they dragged him all the way around and back out the chute. Of course, the second he starts to drag, I just leave the field and run backstage uh, waiting for him. Uh, and the way the field was set up is we had openings at the end of it's a big oval like sort of like a a hockey rink shaped arena in each of the corners that were upstage which is you know away from the audience we had gates that were like uh shoots that also had sand in it so we because we did did a lot of uh crazy equestrian stuff in the show where we had guys that would ride on the back you know standing on horses and stuff so we do a lot of looping through the field so we had this this sort of shoot that set up so that you could go out of the arena around back behind stage and then back into the arena through the other way so i run back through and i'm i'm back waiting in that shoot as he does his lap and then comes off and gets disconnected and so he he comes back and he's you know he's covered in sand and dirt and stuff and now everyone backstage is starting to panic because the the tech people on the you know saw John didn't get up out in the show, so they're radioing backstage to the the medical people and everything like something's wrong because again none of us have ever seen this guy injured, especially not like this. So we get around backstage, all I could see was his thigh muscle just looked like it was a giant ball, like it was just like swollen, like rip, rapidly swollen, like not a lot of time has passed and his his leg is swelling up real bad. The medical, I mean, the, this, this fair had great, a great medical team and, uh, they were there quick and they got an ambulance in there, got him, you know, uh, you know, they put him on a board, got him up out of there. And, um, turns out what he had done was when he fell his quad, I believe is the muscle, it's his thigh muscle. The tendon actually ripped off of the bone and his muscle kind of like, like a, like a shade on a window kind of rolled up in his leg. So he, when he tried to stand, like I said, this guy, pain does not affect him. So I'm sure he tried to stand and his leg just was not functioning as a leg, just not working, just not working the way a leg's supposed to work. But yeah, so it, then he was out not nearly as long as he should have been, but he was, he was out. He was the lead of that show. So the guy who was the master of arms actually had to step into his position in that show. Cause at that particular fair, we did a full on storyline that would go throughout the day. So we would have plot driven shows like there was a human chess match we would do that would have big plot elements and things so we we weren't just jousting during the day we had other obligations to be out there you know furthering the story and doing these other things so it was a it was a huge deal like and this happened early in the season too i think it was in the first couple weeks of, of of a show that runs about 12 weeks so it was a crazy scramble for my friend to to get into his part but he did a great job and he killed it it was a really great show we had horses that would lay down the queen would ride in and the horse she was on would lay down on its own so she could get off we had horses that uh that particular show we had a that it would end where we were going to act like we we're going to burn a girl at the stake and we had this big pyrotechnic effect that would shoot this big 40 foot fireball up in the air when we rescued her and then rode through fire to escape and like it was it was this crazy show that involved just a ton of moving parts and a lot of training and my buddy really jumped in and, and crushed it that does it sounds like a lot of fun 
You know, stuntmen that I've heard anyway, not not necessarily just equestrian stuntmen, but stuntmen in general, often have injuries that kind of plague them through the rest of their life. Do you have anything like that? Yeah, um, I'm I'm pretty. I consider myself to be pretty lucky because a lot of the guys I worked with doing this type of stuff, and guys I worked with doing some uh, stunts for films and some other things, pretty much all the what I would consider to be professional stunt guys, everybody's hurt. They're all hurt. If it's not an ongoing problem, uh, like I knew a lot of guys who had bad arthritis in their hands and arms and stuff, just from the amount of times they've broken their fingers, broken their hands. But most of the guys that I worked with, especially in this in the Joust company, were always dealing with injuries. I've, I've seen guys. One of my best friends destroyed his right arm, broke both bones into I don't know how many pieces, just just turned it into dust, and finished the show using that hand. So I. Uh, I, I got out pretty lucky. I was dragged again in that the, the show I was just talking about there, uh, the the crazy stunt show we did. I got dragged again, and I uh, that time I I tore some uh, some ligaments in my spine, and I think I ruptured a disc. I have some issues with my neck for the same reason because I've been thrown off of horses and onto fences and through fences and landed weird on fall. Because the thing about doing saddle falls with armor is even when you do it the right way, it hurts every time because you have a metal gorget on, which is, you know, all around your collarbone. And then you have spalders or pauldrons over your shoulders and then arms that are covered. So when you hit the ground, all, I mean, metal doesn't flex. So if you don't land right, something's jamming into somewhere. So most guys, I mean, we all, you know, dislocations are common. Broken bones are very common. Uh, Torn ligaments are super common. Concussions because like I said, we're jousting. Uh, there, there's times uh, where I, I got hit in the head to no one's fault. I mean, it's a live stunt show and sometimes things don't. I think uh, the time I'm thinking of in particular, it was during a rain show or it just had started raining so that my shield was really slick. So when I took the hit, when you're jousting against somebody theatrically, there's two different ways you can hold your lance. You can either do what's referred to as couching it where you tuck it under your armpit and you fold your arm down along your side and you really hold it. Or what I would do and what most theatrical guys do is called floating, where your arm is more out to your side, like your elbow's out and the lance is floating like under your elbow and you're poking more than you're kind of twisting your body to hit. Since we're doing a theatrical form of jousting, I always found that to be better because it, it allows you to still make a good hit. It sounds good. And then I would kind of helicopter the lance over my head after the hit, you know, and then I could reset it easy that way. Plus your arm is acting like a shock absorber. So I could make it sound really great with a hit, but I'm not drilling my buddy. I'm not really trying to take him off the horse. Well, there's some old school guys that we worked with who are really like to couch their lances and just lock it down on you, um, which is fine if they're accurate, but when they miss, you know, now they're really their whole weight of their body and their horse is now behind them. So there was, there was times where uh, there was one particular show where a buddy, his hit skipped a little high off my shield, hit me in the head. And the, the hit in my helm wasn't the problem because, uh, like I said, we wear real helms. I mean, like it, it took the hit. But because we aren't jousting in like 16th century armor where everything, the, we're not wearing a breast and back plate. So everything isn't locked together. My helm is free floating. I can still turn my head which is great when I'm trying to get around the field and do stuff, but not so great when you get hit in the head by a lance because my head snapped back and then, you know, stars. And then I finished the show, but dude, I couldn't tell you, like I've seen pictures of me finishing that show, but I don't remember any of it. Stuff like that was really common where you just get your bell rung and your body just carries you through the rest of the show. 
if someone, if, if there's a young person that wants to get into, of course, after hearing all the injuries, probably <laughs> no, everybody's saying, no way, I don't want to do that. But if somebody wanted to get into that business today, how easy is it or, or what, what would be the first step? Go to a Renaissance Fair, talk to, you know, ask to talk to some of the guys. I mean, uh, it, most of these places, the, the companies are accessible or um, contact them through their website. I know, I know the, the Handling Lees are probably always looking for, for squires because it's, uh, it's a tough job. It's a tough life, but it's also, it's, it's really cool. I mean, you get, to, you get to travel around the country, you get to perform in a lot of different places. And honestly, working for them is what led me into any other interesting performance thing I ever got to do in my life from doing film work to choreography stuff for, for TV and, and things like that, that I only got because, you know, of the connections and the skills that, that that company had provided me with. So. Right. Performing is performing, right? Yeah. And uh, yeah, a big, big shout out to those guys in the Hanley's action theater. The, the, uh, there, uh, there's a few of the uh, remaining, founding members that are still there. And each one of those guys I learned so much from, from stage combat to uh, acting, how to play to camera, how to play when you're in the round versus, you know, a, a stage setup. I mean, there's so much I learned from them that set me up for other performances and things I did in my life later that I don't think I would have gotten just working from some other company or just learning just what they did. I mean, these guys taught me all kinds of stuff. But yeah, I would just say reach out to, uh, you know, say that you're interested, but just know that you, you, it's probably not going to be a lot of money. Definitely not at first. And uh, it's, it's hard work. I mean, you're going to, you're going to be taking care of horses. And, and if, and if those horses don't mean as much to you as, as they mean to the guys in the company, they won't keep you around. I mean, they don't, they don't take people that, that don't love those animals as much as, as we all do. You got to have a passion for it. right? Yeah, Absolutely. But I would say get into get into safer stage combat stuff. <laughs> you don't you don't have to be at such a high risk. I can teach you how to sword fight. That's much safer. I'll do. I would say stick to that. And for anyone that wants to ask Brandon any other questions, maybe ones that I didn't think of, he is in the Facebook group. So if you haven't joined our our private Facebook group for listeners to this podcast, uh, that's where we go. We discuss specific episodes with other listeners. I'm there. A lot of the previous guests from other episodes are in that group as well and can answer questions. And Brandon's in there and uh, he's happy to answer any questions as well. Absolutely. Thank you so much, man. I really appreciate this. And, and thank you to anybody who is taking the time to listen to it. I really appreciate it. And before we wrap up this episode, a couple of items. First, I want to let you know how you can contact me or get more involved with the What Was That Like community. You can definitely get in our Facebook group where we talk about podcast episodes and lots of other stuff. That's at whatwasthatlike.com slash Facebook. And I also post something interesting or unusual just about every day on Instagram. And you can follow me there at whatwasthatlike. And if you have a really crazy experience that you think people would want to hear about, you can send me a summary and we can talk about it. You can do that right from the website. Just go to whatwasthatlike.com and click on Submit Your Story. And if you want to support the podcast, you can do that at whatwasthatlike.com support. You can get access to exclusive bonus content and you'll have my eternal gratitude. Your support really does mean a lot. And of course, you can always email me. My email is scott at whatwasthatlike.com. I do read all my email personally, and I try to respond to every one. And finally, if you like baseball and you like true crime, 
here's the perfect podcast for you to check out. I'll see you again in two weeks. The Dead Ball Podcast explores the characters behind our national pastime. We discuss their life on and off the field to learn the triumphs and tragedy behind those who make the game. I'm your host, Nina Instead. Join us as Dead Ball digs into the stories behind the names. Find Dead Ball on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your favorite podcatcher.